You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 26. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. Christianity from its earliest days has been a faith that has the central objective of proclaiming the good news. Um, evangelistic. We are, we, are, we are focused on the euangelion, the evangelium, however you want to say that Latin phrase, the, the good news of Jesus Christ. We are to have always been a group that has been aligned with the good news. We're not a politically aligned group. It's important to say in these days. We're not a politically aligned group. We're not a racially aligned group. We're not for one certain ethnicity. We are for all of humanity. We're not ethnically aligned. We're not politically aligned. We're not economically aligned. Like you have to reach a certain status and either be above the line or below the line. And only you qualify if you have enough dues to get into this country club. We're not economically aligned. We're not generationally aligned. You know, you have to be over of a certain age for any of this to make sense. We're not aligned by any of those realities. We are good news aligned. What makes us a church is that we have a central message and it is the good news of Jesus Christ. All these other factors, all these other realities, they are, they are vast and varied and uh, diverse among all the congregations all over the world. But we have one central thing in common, and it is the good news of Jesus Christ, the work of Christ. It is the centerpiece of this doctrinal statement. We've had four of them leading up. We've got four of them going out. And right here at the center is the work of Jesus Christ. It is the blazing center of who God is, the work of Jesus Christ. So we've mentioned the good news many times as we've preached through this series. And 
I'd argue that every Sunday we get together, if you listen to me, you're going to hear the good news of what Christ has done for you at some point. It is the, it is the one note that I try to play over and over and over again. This is who Jesus is. This is what he has done. So we've covered um, that many times. We've, we've covered this information uh, in our doctrinal statement. Once we got to this point, we really just kind of, though, come to a problem because we've discussed the reality of God, how he is holy, infinitely perfect, eternally existing in a loving unity of three equally divine persons. We've spoken of how God is a God who speaks. He has spoken to us that we might know him. That's why we have the Bible. God has, is a speaking God. He has communicated to us. And what that has communicated to us is our human condition that all of us united in union with Adam, the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, we are by nature and by, by choice sinners and under judgment. We are not, God's relationship with us is not a, been a, a good one. We, have, we don't have favor with God in our natural state due to our human condition. And then we've discussed two weeks ago the reality of Jesus. He is God in human flesh without sin. Jesus has shown up, walked the earth, was without sin, perfectly righteous in everything that he did. And, 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 he's, and now this is the reality of, of who Jesus is. But all of those, those truths aren't good news yet. That's all just still really bad news. That, that God made everything. He has spoken. He's revealed himself to us. He said, don't do this, do this, be like this, don't be like this. He's given us a law, and we've all failed. The human condition, we've all rebelled and gone against him. Jesus has shown up. He has obeyed perfectly, but that doesn't really help us. None of these truths are particularly comforting at this point. They just present a problem. Okay, God is holy and righteous. We're not. Jesus was. Now what? And that's why we have to have this important doctrine of the work of Christ. If God is just and holy, as we affirm that he is, how can he take mankind that is fallen and depraved and make for himself anything other than a bulk of humanity that deserves justice? How can he? In our, in our opening doctrinal statement, at the end of the, the doctrine of God, it says that he has limitless knowledge and sovereign power. God has graciously purposed from eternity to redeem. That's an important word. But he's going to get this people for himself and make all things for himself and make all things new for his glory. How is God going to get there? From this mass of humanity that deserves justice, that deserves judgment, and yet God is determined from eternity past to have a people for himself. How is he going to get there? Well, enter onto the stage the work of Christ, what Jesus has done. This is exactly the problem that Paul is addressing in Romans chapter 3. If you read Romans chapter 3, which we've done many times as a congregation, I think three or four times now, we've read through the book of Romans together. We're getting close to finishing maybe just our third time, but we've read through the book of Romans many times. And those first few weeks, as you read chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, you're like, 
this book ain't any fun. Because it plunges you deeper and deeper into the reality, the, the desperate condition that man finds himself in. As we, as we have rebelled against God, as God has given us a law and we have failed, Jew and Gentile alike has failed to keep God's law, has, stands condemned under God's holy justice. You read chapter 3, the, starting in verse 9, no one is righteous. Paul brings in all of these Old Testament texts to just condemn us of our sinfulness. We have no righteousness. We have nothing inherent inside of ourselves with which to please God. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. Verse 12 in chapter 3, all have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. The mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is bad. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's the state of everyone. Verse 23 that we read this morning. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As we work our way through this text that that, that section leads up to, I want to, I want to do so fairly quickly because I, I want to pay attention. I want you to pay attention the whole time we go through this. I want to stress upon you to, to pay attention this morning because I want to press you into answering a question at the end of our time. And the question is this. I'll let you know what the question is beforehand. Have you personally trusted in Jesus? Are you right now, today, personally trusting in Jesus Christ as the only means of your salvation? Are you looking to Christ? Are you treasuring Christ? No matter what age you are in here this morning, I don't care how young you are, if you're able to focus at any level, or how old you are. If you're from elementary age to elementary was so long ago, it seems more like a memory. It's like a, 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 a vapor of something that maybe happened. I know it happened objectively, but I'm not sure it happened. No matter the spectrum, everyone has, there is no more important question for anyone this morning than that question. Is Jesus your Savior, your Lord, your treasure? I'm going to blow your mind here, but this is more, that's a more important question than who you're going to vote for. I, I, now that seems like, I know that's crazy talk. I know that you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe it. With all the media today, it seems like the most pressing question on your horizon is either who you're going to vote for or maybe who you have voted for already, right, Corby? It, you know, that's the, most, that's the most important thing going on. It isn't, folks. It isn't. It does not matter. It doesn't compare at all to this question, is Jesus your Lord and Savior? And, and, and ask yourself, do I invest as much energy answering that question, am I trusting Jesus today as I've invested energy on researching who should I vote for? Who's my candidate today? And I'm going to tell you the more important research project is the question of, is Jesus mine? More than is any candidate mine. You wouldn't believe it today, but that is the truth. Think of all the energy spent 
on the question of who we elect, but how much energy do we give to the questions that really matter? And this morning is your chance to correct that. This morning is your chance to correct that, to make sure that your focus is on the things that really matter. Not who are you electing, who is your savior? Who is your only hope in life and in death? Who is your only hope? Is Jesus your king? Are you trusting Jesus alone for your salvation? The fifth point in our doctrinal statement, the work of Christ, it says this, says we believe that Jesus Christ as our representative and substitute shed his blood on the cross as the perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. His atoning death and victorious resurrection constitute the only ground for salvation. End paragraph. There are some really important things to discuss in this paragraph. We talked about the incredible person of Christ a few weeks ago, and that's tied to the works that he did on earth. But our statement says that he as our representative and substitute, shed his blood on the cross. Why? Why? If, if Jesus is the God-man, what we discussed two weeks ago, he is God in human flesh, how did he ever let that happen to him? I mean, most of our lives are spent giving every effort to avoid as much pain and suffering as we can avoid. Is it not? I mean, that's why we go to the doctors. That's why we even go and have maybe hard things done that cause a lot of pain in the moment is so that in the future, I'll be hopefully less painful and have less suffering. That's one of our main goals in life is to be as pain-free and suffering-free as we can be. So then why did the all-powerful, omnipotent, all-power, all-wise God come to earth and suffer? That doesn't make sense. Why, why is that the way that he went? Why did Jesus do this? If he is God in the flesh, why would he get himself into a situation where he'd be killed on a shameful cross? Why didn't he get out of that with all of his godness, all of his power? And the answer is he didn't get out of it because it was the very reason for which he came. It was the very reason for which he came. There was no point in his ministry, no point in his life where he was going to skip out of this very purpose. He came for this reason. As Mark 10, 45 says, I prayed it already this morning, but Mark 10, 45 says, Jesus came not to be served, which you'd think of for a God that's going to show up, right? I mean, if you think of some high... Uh, you know, respectable, impressive uh, pop culture figure or whatever that would come in this morning. We would, you know, you would not here because we're not, but you know, in church, you shouldn't be like that anyway. But you understand what I'm saying? If somebody really popular, really important shows up, they kind of get pampered. They kind of get taken care of. I want you to have a good time here, you know, because you're, you're special. Well, how much more if God were to come in to the world, shouldn't he be worshiped and adored and served as he deserves and yet, Jesus comes, Mark 10, 45 says, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
Some theories of atonement say that Jesus dying was only an example of selfless giving, like there's the, the moral theory of the atonement, or Christus, Christus exemplar, that Jesus died as a, as a just to show this is what selflessness looks like. And so it was a model of laying down yourself, of putting yourself in, in the back seat. They suggest that Jesus is merely showing us what it looks like to give of yourself. But if Jesus' selfless act wasn't accomplishing anything, well, then it's not really a selfless act. It's just a silly one. If Christ giving his life on the cross isn't actually achieving something, that isn't selfless at all. It's just, it's just ridiculous. It's like the difference between someone staying on the edge of a cliff and jumping off into the ocean, shouting, I love you, and then sinking to the bottom of the ocean... And you think, well, how does that prove that you love me? That just kind of seems ridiculous. That's not selfless. But, but if the person jumps off the cliff to, to get you because you're drowning and you're dead in the water to bring you to shore and they give their life in the process, that is selfless love. That is giving of yourself for a purpose. That's what Jesus' death has done. It has performed a rescue. So I said we're going to get here. Romans 3, just again, Paul has laid us low with the desperate state that we are in, condemned under sin. What the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. The whole world may be held accountable to God. By works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. There is no one who is righteous. But further, there is no way for anyone who is unrighteous to merit the favor of God, to be justified by their own effort or work. That's what 20 is saying. By works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. You're bad off, and worse, there's nothing you can do about it. Your state is beyond remedy. You can't get God's to-do list and now all of a sudden start fulfilling it. No works of the law will, will produce the righteousness of God for a couple of reasons. It's already too late for you. But secondly, you could have the best to-do list that there is and you're going to fail at it. If you know yourself very well, you understand this. Each one of us by union with Adam and through our own sinful activities find ourselves justly under the wrath of God, deserving eternal punishment for an offense against an eternal God with no hope of ever working our way out. Does that seem dark? Does that seem like bad news? It's because it is. That is. It's terrifying news. It's terrifying news. When the Bible talks about the fear of God, there's something of that in this. This isn't good. I'm condemned and I have no way to work my own righteousness, no way to work myself into God's favor. All the law really does is helps you discover how incapable you are of saving yourself. There is no justification through works of the law. There is no religious checklist you can do to merit God's favor. We stand condemned under God's law. That's why verse 21 is so beautiful. But now... All right, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. What it's saying is a way of righteousness has been shown that isn't about keeping the law, that isn't about you and your to-do list. A way of righteousness has been manifested or shown apart from the law. If you don't get, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, all Paul is saying is the Old Testament actually did figure this, 
The Old Testament does have lots of laws that says, you know, do this, don't do that. All of those were in response to, they were now God's people, here's how they should live. But you can go to places like Genesis chapter 12, which talks about Abraham was believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness because he believed, he believed God's promises. So that's what the law and the prophets bear witness to is about. But what is this righteousness? It is the righteousness of God, not through works, verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Faith in Jesus Christ. Now what good is faith, believing in Jesus Christ? What good is that for you? The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. No distinction. All are sinners and all likely, all, all just the same, are justified by his grace, meaning there's only one hope of this justification. This isn't universalism that all are sinners, therefore all are justified. It's that all are sinners and that all who are going to be justified are justified by his grace as a gift. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Christ has come, shed his blood, a propitiation that is a wrath-appeasing sacrifice. The punishment that sinners deserve because of their sin is laid upon Christ as our representative and substitute, as our statement says. As our representative and substitute, he sheds his blood, he dies the death. The wages of sin, verse Romans 6.23, is death. That wage that you deserve for your sin of death is laid upon Jesus. He takes it upon himself. He sheds his blood unto death. So that the good news is every one of us condemned under sin, unable to work our way out, can do what? Can believe. Can look to Jesus can confess the reality. Yeah, I am a sinner. I'm in terror. Looking to Jesus, there's two sides of that coin, is realizing I have no hope in myself. My only hope is in Jesus. There is a redemption. There is this good news. God has put forward Jesus as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. The good news of the gospel is that there is a rescuer. There is a rescuer. There is a savior who has come to earth, and we say this a lot around here. Live the righteous life I should have lived, died the death that I deserve, so that everyone through repentance and faith in Christ could be forgiven of their sins, made righteous in his sight, justified, forgiven of their sins, and share the promised hope of eternal life with him forever. Brings us back to our opening question. Jesus is a rescuer. He's come to save sinners from their judgment. He is a rescuer. But the question for each one of us is, is he your rescuer? Is he your rescuer? It's different than just confessing these are truths about Jesus and then saying these are truths about Jesus for me that impact my life. If you're not sure, today is the day to make that hope your hope. 
I've had questions and conversations with people. They, they'll talk about when, you know, I look back at my history and I try to figure out, you know, when did God actually save me? Where was this point where I can look back? And some people, you know, if we were in different uh, church traditions, we might have a call you to walk the aisle and you'd come up and you'd sign a card or you'd put a note maybe in your front of your Bible and say, this was the day that you confessed faith in Jesus. And that's, that's fine. That's, you know, I'm not, not knocking that. We don't do that here. But, th- but I think a more important question then when did you, is are you today? Are you today? That is the most defining question, is right now, are you trusting in Christ? Is he your only hope right now? There's this scene in uh, Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. You guys read Alice in Wonderland or seen the new movie with crazy Johnny Depp in it? It's kind of a good, good version of it. But Alice in Wonderland, and you know, Alice goes and she's, uh, meets the, the Cheshire cat right in this tree and it goes like this one day Alice comes to a fork in the road and saw a Cheshire cat in a tree which road do I take she asked where do you want to go was his response I don't know Alice answered then said the cat it doesn't matter <laughs> I think it's, it's a very astute observation at the fork in the road Alice is saying which way should I go and Cheshire cat where do you want to end up I'm not sure. Well, then it doesn't really matter which road you take. Just pick one. That's, that's, the cat is quite right in his assessment. If you don't have a desire for where you would like to end up, then it doesn't really matter which way you would choose. However, when it comes to the issue of good news, when it comes to the issue of do you want to sit under the wrath of God? And, and receive your own judgment for your sinfulness? Or do you want to be forgiven and made righteous, not by your own merit, but by the gracious gift of another? Then there is a choice. Then there is a path to take. Then there is a direction to go. I think we all have a desire when it comes to the good news to head in a certain direction. We want joy. We want peace. We want forgiveness. We want safety, security, and satisfaction. And if you desire those things, you sit at a crossroads. You sit at a crossroads. Essentially, every day, we sit at this crossroads. And the decision is this. Will you go with Jesus or will you turn from him? Will you confess yourself a sinner, repenting for past sin and seeking to kill future sin? Will you trust Christ's death on the cross as your wrath-bearing sacrifice? I'm pleading with you as best as I can, trying to plead with you today. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Trust Him. The path down the road with Jesus leads to ultimate joy and satisfaction and strength and sustaining joy along the way. The path down the road away from Jesus leads to ultimate destruction. It leads to hell. It leads to suffering the wrath of God for yourself. Either Christ has suffered your wrath as your representative and substitute, or you suffer the wrath of God yourself. Judgment for sin will be given and it will be poured upon the heads of those who do not repent. Religion will tell you to get to work. Religion will tell you to get marching, try to march down that good road, get to work. Your own head will try to convince you that there must be something to do to earn this. I must do something. Jesus simply says, come. 
Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come and die to sin, yes. Come and die to self, yes. Come and die to the love of this world and its temporary joys, yes. But come and truly live. Come to Jesus and truly live. Are you trusting in Jesus and his work today? Are you trusting in him? You, I'm not talking to the group. I mean, I'm, I'm talking to the group, but personalize this as much as you can. I'm asking you, are you trusting Christ? Are you at this crossroads of bearing the justice for your own sin or looking to Christ who is representative and substitute bearing your punishment upon himself so that you could be forgiven, made righteous in his sight. Are you trusting in Jesus and his work today? We're going to go to communion in just a few moments, which is this picture of this celebration of Christ's representation of us, shedding his blood, giving up of his body for the forgiveness of our sins. Answer that question this morning, and I plead with you, trust in Christ today and every day. It is his work that alone is sufficient for our salvation. Let's pray. Father, right now in this moment, and we've got people who've been in church all of their lives for many years, and we've got those who who are young in their walk and those who, who are just young, haven't spent that many years in church, all across the spectrum. We have those like myself in leadership. We have those who just attend church all across the spectrum. Each one of us needing to answer this question this morning. To trust in Christ alone as our representative and substitute who took the wrath we deserve. And God, I pray right now this morning, Holy Spirit, be moving among our hearts, convicting us of sin that we might repent and turn from it and bringing newness of life, granting us the gift of faith that we would trust in Jesus that he would be our only joy and hope for all our days. Do that work in these hearts this morning, God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.